Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Angel, who is a Florida teacher. He's worked in charter schools and other private institutions. And a few weeks ago, he decided to speak up about what's happening in the education system, not just public education, but also the charter systems and the public schools with regards to social-emotional learning and ideological capture. And I saw his video on Twitter floating around and I was really stirred and moved by his sincerity and authenticity. And so I wanted to learn more about him and that's what we do. He comes on the channel and we break down his ideas and get to know him better. He's a really wonderful, warm-hearted guy. And if you are in South Florida and you are a comely lass, do consider hooking up with him because he is on the market and I think he is a deserved individual for your attention. So I don't know. I, I've never done a podcast before, anything like that. Okay. Well, um, I'll be uh, kind of easy on you until I'm not. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> What's the course of your academic, uh, your scholastic endeavors, like your interests? Uh, and... Oh, like, well, where I went to school or what I'm interested in? Well, not just like your credentials, but just like what you're really interested in. Like what was your, your kind of your path towards reading, writing, arithmetic, history, you eventually um, become a teacher in your life. Yeah, right? so. I do. Sort of by accident, actually, completely by accident. I never intended on becoming a teacher. Um, I went to school to the university. I went to university. So I'm 36. Um, and so, oh, my God, half a lifetime ago. And I really didn't know what I want to do. I wanted, I, I wanted to start pre-med, and I did that for a little bit. And then I just ended up getting a four-year in psychology and political science. And then I kind of had odd jobs in the city I was at for a year after college. I came back to uh, South Florida and then I met someone who was a teacher and then she was like, Hey, why don't you do this? And then I was like, okay, let me try that. And it made better money than what I was doing at the time. And then I guess I was pretty good at it. And I just continued doing it. What, what um, grades did you do? Most. So I've been teaching, I've, I've, I've been teaching for 10 years or I mean, I've been in the system for 10 years. My first three were like uh, virtual school and um, let me see other part-time jobs, substituting and uh, teaching special education students, things like that. And then the last seven years, I've had my own classroom, both in a private school and a charter school. Oh, wow. I haven't had a, yeah, I haven't had a classroom in a public school, but the other two, yeah. Okay. Um, that, that's a good thing to, we can get into that a little bit later, but what, what's your, you have your own classroom, like what, who is in your classroom? Like what kind of students are in your classroom when you get your own classroom finally? Um, so in private school, I, so it's all about preps, how many preps a teacher has. A prep is basically a specific kind of class. So like, for example, sixth grade US, US history, you can have that class six times. So that means you really only do one prep for the most part, uh, unless you have different level students and then you like cater the class to them. Yeah. But I had six different preps. So I taught oh. sixth grade, yeah, uh, sixth grade history, seventh grade civics, eighth grade uh, world history, and then either in a few English classes or science classes as well to supplement that. Cause it was a very small private school at first. Um, in the charter school, I ended up teaching strictly middle school and I had one one psychology class for three years. That was amazing. And so it was mostly sixth grade US history, eighth grade world history. And I also had a year of gifted students. Oh, 
Like yeah. uh, the, the like the X Men kind of thing. They spit acid and they climb up walls and. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I wish that'd be pretty cool, but would it um, though? <laughs> it'd be really grade. dangerous. The liability <laughs> would be. Oh no, the liability would be terrible. Um, but gifted kids, um, kind of, they're they're high level students, but they kind of approach things a little differently. Oh. Um. I don't want to say like I don't want to just say they're high functioning autistic students, um, but I mean that's a very crude way of of looking at it. The thing with the I mean describe a gifted student another way. It's a very smart kid who kind of figures things out on their own, but they're the ones who are always like, "Oh my gosh, you're so smart! You're so smart! You're so smart!" And then you like they get chewed out when they get bad grades. They're the very smart kid who never learned how to study. That's a gifted kid really. who never learned how to study because they never had to. Oh, you know, okay. humans do things from necessity. And if I can just, you know, remember what the teacher said, kind of like write a few notes, read them, and then just cruise along, I don't have to study. Okay. And so what happens to a lot of kids is, you know, somewhere in middle, in, in elementary school, they're like, oh man, this is tough. I have to study. But a lot of, you know, gifted kids, they go through elementary, middle, high school, sometimes through college, and then they get their difficult class where they hit their, um, their wall and then they don't know what to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was gonna I was gonna ask about these gifted kids if it has to do with how their, you know, either their culture or their parents causes them to study harder. But you're saying, you know, it's just somebody who's naturally yeah, gifted in a... some way, but th- that causes them to have an oversight and maybe perseverance, hard work, maybe some some forms of critical or organizational. Well, thinking. they are intelligent. They, yeah. There is a, for gifted kids, there is an IQ test involved. And I believe, I forget if it's, if it's 130 or something like that, but they're very intelligent. But the, the, I don't want to say the issue is they're so intelligent, they don't have to study until they have to, and then they don't know what to do because their entire life has been inflated by ego and they're the best and that they're so good. And, you know, they get it extra worse when they get a bad grade as opposed to, let's say there's, you know, a brother, a brother and a sister, one of them is gifted, the other one's not the gifted kid's going to get it way worse from the parents if they get a bad grade. Yeah. And that's going to lead into the, you know, the spiral of, of performing worse as a kid. Huh. So uh, how long have you been working with that cohort, that kind of student? The gifted cohort, only one year. Okay. It was, it was um, I mean, I, I've, I've had gifted classes before, but they were usually done through, um, they're usually done through world history. It was never a standalone class until uh, last year. And okay. I, it was it was a great class. Um, it was a smaller class, also smaller than the average number of students, which helps for the different kinds of um, activities we did. We did a juggling activity to kind of te- like show them how people learn through stages and building upon each other instead of just having to hard memorize something. Because another thing about gifted kids is they don't have a lot of physical skills for the most part. And yeah. so you have to really, as a teacher, struggle sometimes to find things that challenge them because you know if it's anything that deals with reading or anything any like hard intellectual stuff they know that sometimes more than the teacher huh yeah interesting i remember juggling that's a brilliant idea because i remember when i um picked up juggling um i was in a very dark like bottom of the barrel stage of my life and somebody handed me some juggle balls for some sort of work secret santa thing and i ended up just practicing over and over and over again because i knew it was possible that i could do it but i couldn't do it at first and it was it really clicked for me i'm like oh this is what it's like to learn something and to actually just practice and practice and practice and then watch my body 
start to yeah. pick up just kind of watching my body learn something and kind of me as a mind creature kind of a little separate from the body so it was a pretty breakthrough moment for me yeah exactly it was you know i i taught them in steps first you do the 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 um one-handed juggle you with one hand you juggle two balls and things like that and you go from there and i knew a little bit i actually didn't know how to juggle i i i just knew i knew the basics so I challenged them as well. I'm like, you have to do better than I do. You have to, if I can juggle for 20 seconds, you're going to juggle for 21 seconds. And they're like, oh my God, there's, there's, there's a performance. And I, I put pressure on them and it was different. Mm -hmm. And the, the, I don't know, the fun part was seeing the layered learning because I remember having one student where after the fifth day, he started juggling and then actually juggled, but looked at me and said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how I just did this, yeah. but then I'm like, does it feel good though? He's like, yeah, it feels good. Huh. And, and I don't know, like we, as teachers, we learning has to feel fun. It has to, you know, like as a history teacher, like, Hey, look what I discovered here. This crazy story that no one realized that existed here the entire time. Check it out. Yeah. What was your life before teaching? Like, what were your pursuits and your the parameters of what was interesting to you? Like, what were you, you into? I I didn't know what I ever wanted to do. Like the whole thing of oh, you know, when I grow up, I want to be. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I always, you know, I I guess in a way, I was. I grew up as a as a quote gifted kid. People told me I was really smart, but then I kind of just hmm. faltered. I just stayed in the same place while everyone else kept on elevating themselves and rising up and then i'm like what what do i do yeah so and, and this whole idea of going with the flow it just took over and i kind of got lazy and i lost my way and i don't know i just i honestly got incredibly lucky and blessed that i what what i ended up doing i liked and i was naturally decently good at it yeah i i don't know what i would do if i was bad at bad at it i mean i did teach science one time and i just couldn't i couldn't hack it as a science teacher like i would technically I had all the certifications for it but there's just something missing the 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 energy of wanting to teach that or knowing that you have the mastery of that and you're able to answer any question not having that was i don't know i just i just science wasn't for me hmm. So what were you doing just to, just to map out like uh, that kind of ennui phase of that some men specifically go through without like having purpose direction? What did you, where did your energy end up going to or your ambition or like, what did you end up like kind of doing before you found teaching, before you found something that really uh, turned you on? Um, you up? On it. So, Okay. After graduating, I worked in a year for this like um, political group. Basically, I just did cold calls. Um, I wanted to get into politics, but oh. I didn't want to take the activist route or anything like that. Um, I don't know. It just it was weird. I, I mean, when I was younger, I, I was you can call me politically on the left or a Democrat. But as I got into college, I don't know, it was just extreme. As I, I'll, maybe we'll get into that later, but it just felt it just felt weird to me um what, what then, felt weird let's get into that now like what what was okay. so you were just kind of like card carrying liberal because you were just supposed to yeah. be a liberal Def and then you started liberal. to look into it in college and you noticed something a little weird and what what about era was this politically what was going 20 on? this was 20 
2012, 2013. This was okay. a few years before, I guess, the whole woke or whatever you want to call it became mainstream. Yeah. But I guess what I guess what I saw in the in the activists at the school I was at was hatred. Like, let's burn everything down. Like these people suck. You know, take you know, burn the system kind of thing. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good solution. Hmm. I I know I have a history of Cuba and Chile where you know the, that was a solution to destroy the system and look where they're at right now. I don't I, I don't think that's a good solution to things. I don't think rage and anger is a good way of expressing yourself civically. Yeah. Because you I mean like for example, um in a few maybe a few months or a few years ago in Chile, the people were protesting the metro system because it was too expensive, so they set it on fire. How is that going to make it any cheaper? I don't know like 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 I understand the anger I understand like government exploitation but the solution isn't to give government excuse to exploit you even more okay I don't know so you grew up in South Florida then yes and Um, your ancestry is so my dad is Cuban and he came with his family during I mean during the 70s and 80s Uh, my mom's from Chile and she came during the 70s and found each other in South Florida and then I that's how I appeared and then yeah. I've just I've been I've been here um, my entire time. And so, what what kind of culture did you? What kind of stories did your parents tell you about their upbringing? What what kind of story did they tell you about living in the United States? Also, so my mom always told me that she never had a future in Chile. Um, it was very it was a very chauvinistic society um, and a very regulated society. She had to pass insanely high level biology classes just to be a PE teacher. And it was just, it was obnoxious. She's like, I don't want to be a neurologist. I just want to teach physical education. I don't understand why I have to pass biology six. And I, she just, she couldn't, she, you know, she couldn't do that. And then she was always different from, from her sisters. She was always kind of rebellious and said, you know, like, I'm just going to go take a chance. I'm, I want, I'm going to go to the United States. And so she did. And my dad's side of the family, she was... In her late 20s, hmm. around 27, 28, around okay. there. Um, and my dad, he just came with his family because they were refugees from, from Cuba. They were middle class. They had they had property. They had a small business and they lost it all. So they got scattered to California and South Florida. Oh, wow. Okay. Your dad and has some lovely things to say about... Uh, mostly my grandmother. Um, really? she, yeah, she tells, like, she's, she tells me like, mijo, like a lot of things, you know, I've seen this story before and there, I, there's, we had, we did not find a good solution to this. I don't even know what to call it. At least in education, it's just oppressive top-down demands and, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Mandates and things like that. Cuba never found a solution to it. Venezuela never found a solution to it. The USSR collapsed because of it. I I don't, I, I there's no, I, sorry. I yeah, just no. can't find a, humanity has not found a solution to that kind of oppressive power yet. Okay. Well, what kind of oppressive power? Like, let's, let's define the problem before we can, uh, before we venture into what some would say is the solution and others would say is the worst, worse problem. Um, well, like life like you have to work to get ahead and some people are better are better at things and some people come from more money so there's like differentials of privilege differentials of work ethic like what what I mean, is the oppressive yeah i mean we're always going to have that problem of 
different, I mean, at least in this country, the idea is we're created equal, but I mean, in what way are we created equal? We should be equal in opportunity in law, but I mean, we're not the same. We're not equal in skill or effort. And so that creates a, just that in itself creates a lot of, a lot of problems. And even if we have the motivation, we might not have the resilience, you know, yeah. one of the things that at least happened to me, COVID was, I mean, I would say that COVID was a world trauma that we haven't really fully discussed as a group of people yet. It just sort of came and went and yeah. we're just sort of dealing with the sands and the gears and we never sat down and been like, what actually happened? Yeah. What did you lose? Because, I mean, married, uh, divorces spiked, um, depression and all that spiked, mental illness spiked. Every, every negative aspect went up. Yeah. And then to speak nothing about the delay in children's education as well. Oh, yeah. And we haven't fully seen the ramifications of that in middle school yet. Um, uh, actually, we're, we're actually pretty close to that. They're about to get into fifth or sixth grade, I believe. And it's you're going to see the... the the effects compound as, as time goes on. Um, but I don't know, like getting back to the question, governments, they want to do things. They have, I mean, different governments have different things they want to push. And depending on how, on depending on how extreme the idea is or how hard the government pushes, that's where the oppression comes from. I mean, if you want to have an equal society, if you want to have a totally equal society, and then you have the government go into everyone's bank accounts and make sure that everyone has fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, it's a little—I mean, it's a little oppressive and intrusive at that point, even though it might be a good reason to do so. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's something that can only be measured by degree. That's something that can—that you have to kind of take the temperature. Okay. Um, and yeah. unfortunately, you might—you might have a bad frame of reference for taking the temperature wherever, wherever you're at. So coming with, I don't know much about Chile. I mean, I, I only know, I know, I know <clears throat> tertiary knowledge about Cuba, you know, I kind of yeah. understand Cuba a little bit because it's a little bit more in the American consciousness because we did some stupid things in the sixties in the Soviets too, but, um, yeah, and it's right there <laughs> and it's right there. And it's an, it's an example of, of socialism that's on our doorstep that, obviously hasn't worked. So we get to kind of be chauvinistic, like, ha ha ha, like Cuba didn't work, Cuba didn't work. But um, yeah. what about Chile? What was the the kind of the, the political so, uh, trajectory and then how that kind of has informed you as somebody? So actually Chile in the seventies, I believe, and um, gosh, I'm terrible with dates sometimes. Um, they had the opposite problem. They had, they had the reactionary right. They had Pinochet. They had the guy who who threw communists from helicopters, which that's that's not a that's not a proper form of government either. That's another form of government oppression in the other direction. Um, but at least from my mom's perspective, she's like, it doesn't matter if it's right wing fascism or left wing socialism. You're still going to have authoritarian government. You're still going to have, oh, we have to follow this vision, and if you disagree with it, you're going to suffer in some way. Okay. And so she wanted to leave because of that. Okay, so, so yeah. the ideal then for from your parents' point of view is some sort of promise of the United States where there's minimal government or minimal interference or at least maximal ability for you to choose how to organize your own life. I mean, wasn't the idea kind of live and let live? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't know. Like, yeah. is, is, is that something that people should look up to? Um, was that a, a virtue? Is that a virtue in the United States? I don't know. I think it is. I think I, because if you look at most governments, if you look at world history, you just have governments abusing people because of programs. And if you disagree with the government, then eventually the political killings are going to come. And if you shake up the system too much, like, I don't know, the Crocky brothers in ancient Rome, then you're going to, there's going to be a political hit on you. Uh, I don't know. It's, Hmm. I was not, I was just thinking like, um, one example in what happens in education is there's not a lot of update to the history. Like if you go into any curriculum in for world history, they'll say that, oh, human civilization, group civilization started with uh, Mesopotamia and the Egyptians. And have you ever heard of Gobekli Tepe or any of those other, you know, uh, sites found 11,000 years ago? That's not put in, in into the curriculum. So I don't know. It's just and part of the reason is because the current publishers, they want to continue you know, profiting from from their business and then they want to maximize profits. But then, oh man, if they have to make huge changes and actually do the research and put and add this and, you know, oh man, then the textbook is going to be longer than usual. And unfortunately, a lot of, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a Marxist or anything, but a lot of human progress does get blocked by this hunger for money and this hunger for, I want to be correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hubris and, and greed, right? And at the same time, if you build your career on something that, you know, let's say off of a certain narrative in history and 30 years later, we suddenly find out that that's not exactly the case. You're like, wait, did everything I worked for? Was everything a lie? Yeah. That would, that I I can't even imagine how that feels. Huh? Well, yeah. But at the same time, you're going to have to put your flag somewhere, even if you're going to be incorrect or not fully right. You'd have to still stand up and say, build something. Put your mark yeah, out. That's, I mean, what, that's what you've done, right? I mean, through a sense of moral obligation, uh, maybe this is the question, why would you put yourself out there? Why would you criticize your own industry? Why would you risk your own trajectory as, as a teacher? I I don't know. I sort of asked myself the same kind of thing. And are you right? Like, was it about being right? Or was it just, was it some other thing like that wasn't just about, you know, having well, full me... ownership of the truth? Well, let me get into that. I, yeah. I, have, I, I don't know. I was sort of thinking about why did I come out with that video and say what I said? Um, I don't know. I, I love teaching. I think it's great. And it's not like the walls are closing in on me or anything. I had to follow these mandates or, or anything like that. But I sort of saw kind of like the, the creep and the beginning of it. And I guess just I want to ask the question of if you're a hardcore leftist and you can and you can express whatever opinion you want, and you can be a teacher, why is that the only kind of opinion that's accepted in the education system? Why can't I be like, dude, America's awesome, the United States is great, and I'm a teacher too. Why do I have to be scared if I have a different opinion? 
I don't like that. I guess naturally, I don't like when a big group decides to go in one direction or follow one thing or say one thing. Like, I think I get, I, I have a physical reaction to that. I get scared. I'm like, why did suddenly ever, why did everyone decide to do X at this time? That's weird to me. And I don't know, I push back against it. And I don't know, you just look in the news and it's just constant stories of different laws being passed, weird books like uh, Gender Queer and, I, and this book is gay, pitching weird messages. And I don't know, I've been called transphobic by students a few times and things like that. And, and I'm just thinking like, why isn't anyone saying anything about what's happening in schools and and for i don't know two months during the summer like well i've always wanted to sort of you know kind of put a camera and just say things because i feel like i have something to say i don't know maybe in a world where we don't have common sense maybe that's worth something yeah. but i just i don't know i i just i took like 15 hours and i would just wrote what i I don't know. I just wrote what I thought had to be written down. Like my fresh, my, I guess I took my years of frustration and the idea of seeing the United States slowly collapse while seeing the whole idea of education getting, I don't know, this top-down demand. Top-down demand. So, so by what you mean, and this is a really important key point because from the right wing or libertarian perspective, this whole school choice thing will be the exit from the system. And the, these creepy ideas, these Marxist ideas, this authoritarian push, this unitary push for one ideology that's being pushed through the public school system, people will have liberty from that if they go to charter schools, if they go to private schools. But as James Lindsay, my friend, has argued and other people have argued along with them, no. It's all no, going to be SG. It's all going to be Marxist. And you, as somebody, first person, lived experience, private school, charter school, it's not just freedom-loving. It's still unitary, uh, unitarian ideal. So I can give... Ex so, for example, um, Lindsay's absolutely right. Um, I would say the private schools would be the first ones to capitulate over, over uh, public and, and charter schools because if you have a few parents with a lot of money, huh, they're going to get everything they want and they will sacrifice as many teachers as required depending on how much money the parents have. That's the absolute truth. Um, but I guess what we can, um, we can use social emotional learning as, as an example. Okay. This and something that they tried, that they wanted to do was the pillars of virtue. They try to do this program and hmm. kind of like, there's this whole idea with teachers that we're not just teachers. We don't just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. We teach, you know, values and we yes. teach principles and we teach, you know, like correct morals. And it's like, well, okay, if, you, if you're going to say that and not define what those morals are, you know that teachers are going to take that into their own direction. And that's going to go off the rails in whatever, in many, in many different ways. Yes. And my whole ethos is, question things like there's a narrative question it there's a paradox ask it a, like ask it questions if it falls apart that's not a good narrative if it doesn't fall apart well maybe you ask the wrong questions or maybe it's a decent argument but you kind of had to poke and prod and figure it out and not just 
I don't know. I mean, there's this whole argument about what ideas you should expose to children because, I mean, we're, uh, it's funny when adults argue over what children believe, they, they have no idea. Children are so easily manipulated. You can easily manipulate a child into almost like into behaving very passively. It's so easy because, yeah. I mean, that's part of the purpose of schools, honestly. Yeah. That's why you see, you know, that's why you see uh, Adderall medication going up, especially in young boys, because I mean, who the hell wants to stay still for eight hours a day? Yeah. And then SSRIs for the young girls. But going back to, um, Social emotional learning. Yeah, these seven pillars of virtue. Yeah, I don't know if what, I don't know if it was seven pillars, but it was X number. It was X number <laughs> of pillars. Yeah. It was a very short-lived program because I mean, the moment they said it, like they said in the teacher meeting, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh. uh, out loud, I'm like, I'm not doing that because they're like, we're we're gonna show that you know we're gonna teach the kids why pride is a good thing, and I'm I look at one of my my colleagues, I'm thinking, that's a deadly sin, isn't it? I don't like, I don't know. I don't, this whole idea, I'm Hispanic and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Cuban pride where I live and I'm like, okay, I get it. I understand, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, especially if you're displaced from your country, having that pride of, and nostalgia of, I want to go there. But at the same time, it's like, you did nothing to be born as a Cuban, You, you know, like it was just kind of roll of the dice. I would be thank. I'm thankful that I'm Cuban. I love that I'm Cuban, but I'm not like I'm proud that I'm because the the difference between saying I'm proud and I'm better than you is very very small. Okay, yeah. I don't like that idea. Yeah. yeah, because I I don't know. It's kind of like people make the argument of, about patriotism and nationalism. When does it become bad or something like that? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's yeah. You're bringing up a lot of things. I don't want to get mired in there, but I do understand. Um, being able to say that I am of a certain ethnicity um, and how that can, in the right environment, in the right kind of like just the correctly calibrated liberal environment, by liberal I just mean open, mm-hmm. where, where people aren't trying to best each other than having all these different ethnicities, as long as the values are within a certain kind of wavelength, especially when it, with regards to violence, with regards to, you know, just certain values, then these different cultures can actually like really inspire a wealth and, and bring a lot of color together as long as, you know, certain values are adhered to. I mean, yeah, you need some, I mean, you definitely need some humility, humility and curiosity and and wonder. And yeah, kind of like, Hey, my culture is cool. We do things this way. Oh, you do things that way. Okay. That's interesting. Maybe I have things that you, that you can pick up and you have things that I can pick up. Ideally that's how it is. But I don't know, especially when you when you when you add the weight of government, you know, they can push certain ideas like affirmative action that that tips the scales and mm. I don't know, mm. even the road to hell is paved with good intentions, I think. Yeah, yeah. So so you're you're working as a teacher and you're watching your teachers union or or I guess I don't know what you guys don't have deans, uh, but whoever it is that does the curriculum, they're pitching these ideas, social emotional learning. They're pitching these mm-hmm. ideas about like, you know, we need to embrace sexualities of ver- various kinds. And here's the concept of gender and you need to under understand this and accept or affirm. So it's not just teaching you what to, what these ideas are, but it's also, there's a correct stance yeah the correct way to pitch it to the students like oh you know we should be nice okay let's learn about these lgbt people and i don't know i guess my whole thing is 
why are we pushing this one identity? Like there's plenty of people with other identities that we can uplift and elevate and share in this, you know, mm. ideal of multiculturalism. But why are you just picking one group? It's yeah, why sexuality. Yeah. 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 Nice. And why sexuality more importantly, that's kind of strange. Yeah. Um, Hmm. And I don't know, I just, I'm in a weird, I'm, I'm halfway, maybe a little bit less, I'm sort of halfway done with my life. I could just make mediocre money and just be in my classroom. And for the most, I, I could probably, I could have probably maybe taught for another 10 years and not had this, you know, mandate of you have to teach things this way. Because even still in the charter school I was at, there's still a lot of freedoms to the teachers. Uh, there's a lot of trust in the teachers. I was in a very good uh, charter school and I could have just chilled and just done my thing for 10 years. But I guess my whole thing of as a teacher is not just to question things, but to reject tyranny, to reject authoritarianism. Mm. And I, I just, after a while, I felt like a hypocrite, you know, bringing up constant examples of authoritarianism and why it's bad and then seeing authoritarianism in my very life and sitting down and not doing anything about it. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I guess something broke through and I just, I don't know. I felt like, and I'm between jobs. And so part of me was like, okay, so if you come out as a pro American teacher and if you live in Florida and you can't find a job as a teacher because you're too controversial, that says a few things. One that says that the state of Florida is not as protected from this, you know, quote unquote, woke ideology as you might think it is. And, oh, I mean, if, 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 if there's such hostility against pro-American pro-American uh, pro stance, then I don't want to be a teacher. Oh, like, wow. I, still, I still think I can find a job, of yeah. course. But, I mean, I see the long game. I see, I see this, you know, the long march of the institutions has been happening for decades. And... We're just seeing the, you know, the fruits are starting to bear finally in the common person, the average person, the parent is starting to notice that, wait, this is weird. And I think a big deal, a big part of that was COVID. I mean, that was insanely eye-opening that, you know, parents are like, wait, you're teaching. So what? It was very yeah. shocking. Yeah. What do you mean by pro-America? What does it mean? What does it mean to be pro-American as a teacher? Um, so it, it means that as, I mean, the founding principles of the United States revolve around the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And a lot of people would be like, yeah, you know, but the, the Declaration is basically just giving freedoms to white people. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's true. But I mean, where are we now? Like, you know, considering that was a document written over 200 years ago, it's been pretty flexible. And it's, you know, it, it's helped create one of the greatest nations the world has ever seen. Like, well, one example I gave is about the Olympic teams. If you look at any country in the world, you know where they're from. You know where the Japanese Olympic team is from. But if you look at the American team, you're like, okay, that's a diverse group of people. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all different ethnicities, different races. And it's like, wait, so this country, people are willing to renounce their citizenship of their previous countries and then pledge allegiance to the United States and then represent the U.S. on the world stage. I think that's a big deal. And I think, you know, a country like that should be preserved. And yes, the United States has done bad things, but I also like to highlight the good things that we have done. Like we've helped take the world from poverty. At least a lot of the world has been elevated from poverty because of the, this idea of American capitalism. And yes, we have done some terrible things and there's horrible environmental externalities, but 
Tell me an empire that doesn't have terrible externalities. Yeah. And what is the pushback to that balanced take the good with the bad kind of stance? And then err err on the side of optimism and hope and pride. Well, I guess I mean, not pride. You don't like pride, but... Well, I mean, hope and... Op I guess everything in moderation. You know, yeah. I mean, a little bit of pride is good in the sense of... <laughs> Yeah, I oh gosh, I'm a hypocrite now. But no, I don't know. it's, it's, it's nuanced, dude. It's not hypocrisy. It is, it's no, nuanced. It is, it is nuanced. <laughs> I, I, you shouldn't have uh, pride take over. Anyways, sorry. What was the question again? Well, what's the pushback to just your stance? And and why couldn't you just be a pro-American teacher? Like, what is the problem with that? I don't. Well, in my personal case, I. Like I said, I could have been just teaching everything I've taught and just been fine, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I felt like I had to say something, maybe because other teachers couldn't say anything because they have their, you know, they, they, they have to feed their kids and they have, a, they have a mortgage and things like that. And I don't know, it, in the set, I'm also at a crossroads. This is another thing. Okay. I can choose to continue being a teacher or I can pursue the other career that I've wanted to do was get my PhD in um, psychology and be a counselor. Because something I discovered while being a teacher, I'm pretty, I'm pretty decent at being a, like, like at, well, how do I say this? Students like, to t like they told me things that they probably should have told me. And I'm like, that's where you go to the counselor. Like, uh-uh, you go over there. And it's like, why are you telling me this? And they're like, you seem someone like, you know, like, I guess I can trust or something. I'm like, okay, but you're going to the counselor. Sorry, that's how things go. And yeah. I don't know. I was like, maybe this could also be a path. So I kind mm -hmm. of decided, okay, why don't I just see what happens? Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I spent my life trying to make things easier for me. And now I'm making things more difficult for me. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe, maybe something will come from this. I don't know. Okay. You do re realize that um, as you have criticized the public school, or at least the, what, what, the grade school, middle school, and high school of being kind of indoctrinary, indoctrinary, mm -hmm. college is so much worse. And the higher you go up in college is so much worse. So... Have you thought about that? Like, well, I should get a doctorate in psychology. Wait. Oh, yeah. No, no. Either way, I, I think I posted a video about this after, right? um, after my initial one. Either way, I'm still going to be dealing with the same sort of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this Hegelian thing. Honestly, I just got into that whole Gnosticism, and I just sort of discovered this a few months ago by checking out James Lindsay. And that, actually, your interview with him was pretty cool and very enlightening. Um, it, it, that's like, I also think in pushing back against whatever you want to call it, wokeism, Marxism, Hegelian thought, magical thinking, whatever it is, there, there's a multifaceted approach, just like the, like the long march of the institutions, people have to get into the teaching profession there, there, you, as parents, as concerned parents, you can't just go and be like, I'm going to vote every so often for the school board. No, you're going to have to be the school board. Like yeah. that's the beauty that we still have in this country. Those positions are open for you and parents. Like education isn't just like 
I think something that's happened to Americans in the past 30 years, 30 years is things are good. So we just kind of like, eh, let the experts handle everything. And then we realize the experts are corrupt sometimes yeah. and might not have our best interest, might have muddied interest in mind. And we've been asleep at the wheel for too long, I yeah. think. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I think that as long as you are a good faith person and, you know, I have these beliefs and you argue them in good faith and not crazy beliefs like Nazi-esque beliefs or whatever, then you should be able to be a teacher. You should be able to have any job in this country, in any profession. You shouldn't, like, why is it that we push diversity so hard except the diversity of opinion? That That's like, I don't know, just my only question. So are you, when you look at your future, you say there's a couple paths. So one's a teaching path and one's a student to counselor path. Yeah. Are are you and it sounds like either way you're gonna have to be dealing with this thing that you really dislike, tyranny, authoritarianism. Do you do you have the metal to navigate that without being forced out of it? Because if it is totalitarian and authoritarian, then it's not gonna allow you to question it. Right. It's going to push you. It'll out. eventually force me out. I mean, it would suck yeah. if I, if I'm there, if I take the psychology route and they say, Oh, sorry, you can't get your degree because of whatever reason yeah. that, I mean, that would, I don't know. I, that's, that's why I'm giving myself about half a year or so to really, okay, really sit down and come to this final solution. Cause like, I don't know, I'm in my forties, a few years away. And it's like, I kind of had to, if I'm going to pick a new yeah. venture that might take me a few years to prepare for, I have to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened when I was 36. I, I had to make a decision and I ended up going back to college and then the college I went taught me a few things and set me on a completely different path, which is how we intersect here. Um, oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. That's a big, long story. Uh, the Evergreen State College uh, story is fascinating. But it also, you know, I had to make a decision at 36, and that's the decision I made. And I thought college was going to send me one way, and it sent me another way because college had become something other than I thought it would be. Did you say Ever Evergreen College? The Evergreen State College, yeah, in Washington State, yeah. So even even you've heard of it. Oh, yeah, I, with the uh, Weinstein, uh, what was it? Weinstein, Weinstein? yeah. Brett. Yeah, I, most definitely. I, fought, I, I listened to the Dark Horse and... Oh yeah! Wow, that was wild. Absolutely wild. That that story. I can't believe that. Yeah, but and and even the psychology profession at the level of academia, they want you to. Your job is to instill racial consciousness. Your job is to. If you have a client, and they they have stress, you have to make sure that that stress is somehow associated with their race somehow associated with their gender. Like you have to indoctrinate your clients and you have to be on board with this. And I know many, 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 many of these institutions and they're proud of it. Antioch University, um, my girlfriend was going there and she was being taught to wokeify the entire client um, therapist relationship. And she stood against that. And then there was a big hubbaloo about that. And then in their graduation ceremony, just this past June, the president of Antioch University comes out and says, we are a woke institution. 
We are proud of being a woke institution. Our job is to be a woke institution, and we are partnering with other institutions to make sure that this is where we stand, and we're not going to shy away from that. We're here to, to change the status quo, to uplift the marginalized, and yada, 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 yada. Right. Oh my God, it just came out and said that? Yeah, you just came out and owned it, right? So at least there's that. But that means that any psychology program in Antioch is not a psychology program first. It's a woke psychology program first. That's the march through the institutions. And you know what? That's If that's the way it's going to go, I uh, bring all this up. Because what if you are looking at the landscape, what, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to confront that? Are you going to just be like this rebel psychologist, like reading Freud and, and reading Jung, you know? I don't, I don't even know if that's possible anymore. I mean, if you look at psychologists, I mean, I only have one example. I mean, Jordan Peterson was already had his PhD for years. And yeah. I mean, he's currently getting or was getting reeducated. I don't know what the status is on that, but I mean, I would imagine any resistance gets stamped out. I wonder if there's any any schools that have like uh, have PhD programs that aren't woke or aren't indoctrinated as much. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I, I I don't have. A, it's not like I have a, 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 a. Yeah. I don't know what my path forward is. That's the thing. I've never known what my path forward is, and. Every time but now I you find that... something that you care about. You find something that you're good at. And you have to, it seems like you have to jump through some sort of hoops to get there. And the hoops that you have to jump through are, they violate your core values. Yeah. And that brings up... Sorry, I mean, that brings that br No, that brings up a good question how far are you willing to take the tactics of your enemies and use it against them? I mean, I don't know, like it, if you're playing a monopoly game and the opponent cheats and the only way to possibly, the easiest way to win is to cheat back, but then you've become exactly what you don't like. Yeah. I, I haven't answered that question yet. I don't know how far I would have to go how much I would have to compromise my ideals. Um, I have no idea, honestly. And that's, that's why it's scary because there it's not, it's not like someone that I know of wrote a book and said, okay, if, if you do, if you rebel against a system or you push back against something, this is what's going to happen. This is how you stop it. And this is how, you know, you, you forge your way forward. That doesn't exist, but I, Hopefully I can recognize patterns and the pattern I've recognized the most is if you apologize, that's when everything goes awry. That's when everything goes wrong because not only if you come out against something, you just angered the people who you disagreed with. And then if you take that back, you angered the people you gave the false hope to. So now you have two groups who are mad at you. If you're going to come out and say something, you might as well just, I guess, stay in that position. Um, I guess for your, I mean, your sake as well, if, if you, if, if tomorrow I would take back what I said in my video, I don't know what I would do with myself as a human being. It's like, hmm. did I just lie to everyone? I wouldn't be able to, I guess, live with myself yeah. in that situation. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want... I just wanted to say that I don't like the direction something is going. And what amazes me is that that was just shared 
by so many people. I, I didn't expect that. Part of the reason I wanted to de-anonymize myself is there's a whole push on Twitter and, and in places like that of, you know, anonymous, anonymous accounts or trolls. And but at the same time, I mean, some people would be fired immediately from their jobs if, if you know, pe people heard their opinions. And it's like, for a lot of people, losing your house is not worth this ideological hill to die on. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of self-censorship. And I don't know. I just... I guess maybe there's a lot of people in, in, in the United States who don't appreciate what the United States has to offer its citizens. And someone with, I have family, I, I currently have family in Cuba. I currently have family in Chile. I have family members in Chile who want to come to the United States and be American citizens because they've come and visited. And they're like, my God, I, I just love it here so much. It's just so different. And I'm like, wow, but things are crazy. And they're like, yeah, but things are worse back home. Yeah. I, I guess it's funny, the ignorant American stereotype has sort of changed. Like maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the ignorant American was, you know, the redneck hillbilly who was just like, you know, waving an American flag. Yeah. And now it's the, the, it's the privileged kid who's like, they go to another country and they're like, I, what is it? Kim Kardashian or one of the Kardashians went to Cuba and said, oh, it's all nice how they have everything from the 1950s. And it's like, I don't think you understand why everything is so old there. Huh. But the ignorant American has changed. And I don't know, maybe it's our opulence. Maybe it's, it's it, I don't know, maybe it's our lack of purpose and being wealthy for so long. And we're like, what do we do now? Except make more money. So what what was the what's the seed or the core of the message that you felt the need to put out there and put your face and your name to? Oof. Damn. Um, I can sum it up in one sentence. I damn there's so much that's hard to just put into into one yeah you said you spent 15 hours drafting this up yeah a lot of it was also reciting to a it's really weird the whole like talking to a camera thing like I never thought that that would scare me more than talking to a, like a group of 30 children or something <laughs> um or like a group of 30 like 16 or 17 year olds practically adults like the, the camera is so dead and soulless that it's weird i understand the whole luddite flash camera it takes your soul kind of thing when it first came out um i, I totally get that um I don't know. I just, I just want to live in a world where people just have good faith arguments. Like, it's just like, hey, I have this idea, and this is my end game, and and this is what I want the world to look like. But I don't know. I guess if you have a specific ideology and you can't tell me what your end game is because it might be too controversial or something, that might be a problem. I just want to be able to have a freer exchange of ideas. Okay. Like, hey, I believe X, you believe Y. Okay, for the most part, of, as Americans we have 70 to 80% of 
in common. It's probably a lot more. Like most people want to work at their jobs, live like have a job that they at least tolerate, that makes them a decent amount of money. They can go home and have a few weeks of vacation in a year and be okay with teaching their kids what their parents taught them. And if later on, you know, they discover that their ideas are incorrect or maybe need realigning or something, you, yeah. it's not through the boot of a, a, the government telling you that your ideas are stupid. It's through educating yourself and, and, and doing that. And at the same time, it also I also want to live in a world where people know their neighbors and understand their community and, and, you know, have that connection with each other. Because if things go wrong, you don't want to just depend on the government. You want to depend on your neighbor who understands you, who knows exactly what you need, who, you know, you, there is growth in relationships when you suffer together. And you mm -hmm. see that in movies all the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it, maybe it's just cheesy pie in the sky kind of nonsense that I want. I just... Well, it sounds better Why? than a Marxist utopia, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> but it, but it's it's all like I don't know, maybe hippy dippy kind of thing. But yeah. why why can't we just be nicer to each other? If we look at if we look at the tra trajectory of the United States, freedoms have only been granted to more people. Like we've only had a society that's been more race conscious, as you said before, more conscious about about past oppressions and yes there's a place and a time to acknowledge it but it's also we shouldn't live in that where you have to pay me back for this so i'm going to abuse you now because you abused me in the past hmm. i don't know i don't find that as that's not a that's not a workable solution either like how can we acknowledge the past understand the problems that happen maybe if laws are required to fix fix some of the issues if maybe a realignment in culture is necessary okay well then let's do let's let's do that but i don't know like i don't know what other outside forces are at play the thing about the united states is if you have money you can engage in the politics whoever you are whomever you are in whatever country you are in the world as long as you have money you can influence us politics and maybe we've gotten to a point in in our society that we have maybe over optimized things or over weaponized things i don't know like maybe we've weaponized capitalism i mean look at how the pride agenda took over you know pride month was i, I at, at least in this last year felt very like all right it's time to take out all of the the signs it's kind of kind of like it felt yeah. like corporations were just going through the motions it's not like this organic thing that oh yeah it's pride month it's okay we have to do this the artificial and plastic and it's like if you don't want to do it then don't do it yeah yeah well maybe a month is too long uh for a bank holiday maybe i don't know maybe a week or something like that i don't know it's just at the same time like when i was younger and i mean the whole race conscious thing you know growing up in south florida it's a very insular community they called you know florida the south but miami doesn't miami broward county west palm beach that's not the south that's not like southern georgia it's it's a completely different kind yeah. of place where you live um and it's funny because when I was younger, they, you know, older, older Hispanics and people brought up, would bring up like, hey, you know, there's so many of us that eventually we're going to replace, like, we're going to, there's going to be like, white people aren't going to be the majority in the United States. And so 
when I was like, I don't know, 15 or something, I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like we're going to be like a quarter of the country. And, you know, by the time I'm like 60 or something, cool. But if you bring that up today, well, you're a Nazi. You're, you're evil and bad. And it's like, like if you, if you observe a fact and say, this is a fact, why are you judged on? Well, because it's a right-wing talking point or it's a left-wing talking point. So right, but that's funny. Yeah. It was a left-wing talking point for a long time. Yeah. But it's funny. It's kind of like, yes, we live in a place where, please shoot the messenger. I don't know. It's just, it's so, a lot of, I don't know, just things don't make sense to me anymore. Really? Yeah. I don't know. A, a lot of things don't make sense to me. Like I grew up, so, you know, I was default on the left and I sort of just had the same opinions. Like people should have their congressional rights. You shouldn't torture, you know, prisoners of war like we did in Afghanistan and, and the whole Abu Ghraib thing. Like don't do the bad thing. Don't bomb people in other countries. Don't start like don't start wars. Don't do this. And then you 20, 30 years pass, and then suddenly the other political party is doing the same thing. And it's like, oh wait, hold on. Things are actually much more complicated than you think they are. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the privileged position of the open-minded historian. Yeah, like, well, this is what happened. Um, and if you you can judge it one way that this guy was evil, but if you actually look at the circumstances, was he purely evil or was he just making a tough decision and he decided to go in that direction? Right. Um, you know, you look at, you look at events and you have to kind of suspend your judgment for as long as possible, which allows a bunch of other people to come in with their snap judgments. Right. Um, so it's, it's hard to be a historian and then also conscious of, of, I guess a shaper of, well, I guess historians are the shapers of narratives. They, they use the past mm -hmm. to define the contours of the present and to elicit options. And as long as there's some sort of psychological component, like this is kind of human nature. So when we go in this direction, it usually results in this. And when we are in this situation, we can make this decision or we can make that decision and it can lead to other places, right? By studying mm -hmm. the past, you can kind of map on the rhyming scheme of your present. Yeah, and it, events, <clears throat> historical and political events are complicated and messy. I guess, the, what is it? Um, I asked my students, should the senators have murdered Julius Caesar? And um, I mean, we have that, and there's still that, that that's an open-ended argument. And it's all about what evidence is presented. You know, it's kind of like if you would look at if you would look at the political happenings, a lot of people would come up to the fact to the conclusion of, oh man, this Julius Caesar guy was kind of a tyrant. But then if you look at the personal history, it's like, oh, all these people hated him for personal reasons. And that might have played a big role. So then it becomes really complicated. Like, yeah. how do you weigh both of them together? Yeah. And I don't know. I just think that I guess to take this back to having ideas and opinions is at least for me, I think that my opinions can be wrong. I think that maybe, I don't know, my idea of what a good society should be, maybe it might be authoritarian. It might actually, there might be a better system that's available. I am willing to say that I'm wrong. But I guess I guess the problem that we have in our, in our society, hmm. and to sum it up, is we don't let people be wrong on good faith. We don't, we're, we're so unforgiving to others 
And I don't know, like, I would really like to know, even, even if you're a radical Marxist communist, dude, how the hell did you come up with these ideas? Where did they come from? Just to understand a little bit more. And I don't know, I think there is an actual solution to this if people are willing to have a, to, to sit down and have the good faith discussions, but because of greed, power, I don't know, whatever it may be, malice that people have, uh, pride in wanting to be the elites or superior to others, that's where you mess everything up. Yeah. And that's, yeah, or, that's where the struggle happens, honestly. Or urgency to so-called save the so-called world. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I guess my version of saving the world is let people live their lives and raise their families. And, and the, the, those important things that 90% of the people that, that 90% of people do, let them do that. Yeah. Yeah. And we should have yeah. more options and not less. If we have 50 states, we should have 50 different versions of the public school system to see which state has a better system. Maybe some ways are better for big states like California. Maybe some other systems are better for smaller states like Rhode Island. But we're not even willing to have that conversation because, I don't know, maximize efficiency or whatever it may be. Yeah. Hmm. Do you understand have you seen like the core like where your values come from like what's the bedrock of them like what's the central tenant belief structure when you when you break it down like where i guess first my first principles yeah where where do they come from when did you discover them are you still discovering them are they work in progress yeah i mean i guess everyone is really trying to refine their ideas fully i don't want that to be a cop-out answer but I don't, I like to joke that I'm a, like, it's in my DNA. I'm a product of anti-communism or mm. anti-tyranny because like mm. I'm a merger, it's, this is stupid, but I'm a merger of two parents who experienced different forms of tyranny in their lives. One left-wing tyranny, one right-wing tyranny. And then like, mm. yeah. And, and so, and also what happens is um, personal reasons, but I, I, when I talk to my, my mom and my family members and, and um, they say, you know, a lot of things that you say and stuff like that, your dad, your dad was on, on that sort of train. And so I do think some of it is like, is genetic because I never really talked to him about those ideas. I just, it just turned, it just happened to be that we're somewhere in the same realm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it, it's really interesting um, maybe we've gone through similar experiences or maybe our, our, our brains are, are structurally similar. And so we, we just naturally have the same thoughts and it just goes down the same pathways. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. I just, I don't like to, how do I say this? I guess one of the reasons why the civil rights movement was so successful is you saw the authorities humiliate, hurt, and destroy people like in front of your very eyes. I don't like that. I don't care if you're on the left, if you're on the right, you don't do that to people. And I want to live in a country where that's not a possibility or, or we do that as least as possible. And do we have hundreds of millions of people? We're going to make constant mistakes, but we have to try to be better. And I guess part of it is we need to incentivize people to do the right things. Like, why is it that our teachers, our emergency service people, people who drive ambulances, why do they make such trash money? Like, if there's, su if there's such a, 
important part of a society like oh my god these, these like especially ambulance workers they save they randomly save people's lives on a daily basis the fact that like they should have six figures it's stressful it's it's demanding you have to work 24 hours a day like what like what i just don't understand and that's part of the falling asleep there's been positions that have like why does a BuzzFeed writer make eighty thousand dollars and a <laughs> ambulance driver not has, for long, has, right? Has to they, suffer. No, of course, of course, they get replaced by AI. But yeah, right. I guess that's the, that's the whole thing. It, there's a lot of jobs in this country that the effort to money ratio is awful, and there's been no one in our government to represent those people, and that yeah. sucks too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, you're like, well, do we trust the market or do we trust the government? And is the government actually going to optimize things better than the market? I guess, I mean, is, is there something that was kind of a little random, like this ambulance? Are you in love with the EMT? Is that what's going on? Like, you're just like, oh, no, alone I just, with the struggles of the, of the ambulance. I just, I just picked something. Okay. I know the first thing that came into my head, it's just right. like, I could never see myself doing that. That is too yeah. much too much lives on the line and that's i don't that's too much to handle really yeah, yeah. Um, what about family what about that vector for you um well i a lot of it could also be yeah my, what stories I'm trying to think back of when I was younger and my parents would tell me stories of them coming here and why they came here. And they, they said that this was their, the, the best, I guess they put it this way. If you lose your country, the best alternative, like the best country that can adopt you is the United States. It's the, it's like, and, and I know that people do have love for the, for the place they come from. I, I have that love for the United States and for South Florida. And I understand the same for people who live in Dominican Republic and other places in the world. Even if governments have destroyed, you know, your culture and your society, there's still that, that love for the people there. And I guess, I guess what I saw, I guess what I internalized is the hurt and the pain that my family experienced in losing what they had and having to uproot themselves and having to learn a new language, being in an unknown place where people don't like you because you're different, but, and you have to prove yourself to others. And it's like, hmm. I don't want to go like on a selfish level. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to like hmm. lose the things I've worked for and just yeah. have a complete crash to this upward trajectory that hopefully humans go through. And at the same time, where else is there to go? Well, I mean, at the and at the same time, you said that you'd gotten into the doldrums of life, and there was no reason to prove yourself, and how listless that made you, without that pressure of needing to prove yourself to yourself or to other people. Maybe teaching was a way to prove yourself, or it proved yourself to you, like, oh, I do have a self. Kind of like when you brought up the juggling thing. You know, it was like, what some, what helps us is knowing that you can do at least one thing that's good. Like, are you confident in at least one realm? Yes. There's hope. There's still hope for you yet. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, I guess it, most definitely not, I guess. Teaching was absolutely a lifeline. It was like, you're actually valuable as a human being. Oh, damn. Okay. How many? Uh, and, and I just see, I even saw it in my students because uh, I could tell there is a correlation with the more distance a, a kid, especially a boy, was from their parents, the more they're looking for athletes, rap artists, Andrew Tate as a sort of um, adult father figure as a role model kind of yeah and i don't know i was like that's not that that's not the answer either like andrew tate's not the answer the answer is sitting down and finding that thing that you're good at or throwing yourself to life and hopefully finding it yeah. i don't know like i got lucky and i know i got lucky and and I can't, I can't tell other people if you do X, Y, Z, you're going to have results or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe what I'm experiencing is what young boys experience that leads them to go to the military and serve their country. Like maybe, and you see this with men, they don't just fight for people. They fight for ideals. And maybe this is what's urging me to do so. Okay. Um, Maybe I, this could, this is also, this could also be a change in what I think about having kids because up until maybe two years ago, I'm like, I would never have a child in my life. And now I'm like, you know, having a kid would probably be one of the greatest blessings in my existence. And it, 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 it just blows my mind because I mean, my, for as long as I can remember, I'm like, nope, no kids, but just something happens to humans when they get older. As they get older, there is a change and transformation, and I'm just starting to understand that. Huh. Huh. The call of fatherhood. Maybe, honestly, I mean, let's let's take this to. Maybe this is my personal following the footsteps of my father. Hmm. I guess to discover what he meant to me, to discover what he what he thought of himself. Because um, of course there is personal strife there. This might be a, this might be a, an adventure that got, get, gets into that, okay. um, which that would be great to get some closure with that. Yeah. Um, is your father? Still no, um, he he died when I was about twenty over twenty right about twenty years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. twenty years ago. So you were sixteen then. Yes. Okay. And. Yeah, I was turning yeah, 16, turning 17, and was very unfortunate about that was um, it was he betrayed the family, and then he he wanted to talk to me and wanted forgiveness and wanted to just we never really had conversations. He, he his parents were tough on him. They were very you know, they were pretty authoritarian with him. And he didn't know how to connect with me. We only had, I can only remember maybe half a dozen conversations that we had, but he would, he, my mom would tell me that your dad wants to talk to you. Your dad wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay, well, if he wants to talk to me, he should tell me himself. Yeah, right. And then I held on to my pride. Maybe this is why I don't like pride. I held on to my pride. And I'm like, no, uh, he did all of these things to me. And he was, he was a bad father. And then he died. In the middle of my rage, in the middle of my pride, in the middle of my excusing myself and making a victim out of myself, he just died. 
And I was like, oh, wait, this is, this is, there's no coming back from this. And so my pride turned into shame. It turned into despair. It turned into, wow, I can't believe I'm such a horrible human being that I never gave closure to someone. My father died without that closure. And then I realized maybe I don't, maybe I should take a step back and, and maybe think, rethink my ideas. Maybe not be so obsessed with my own frame of reference and always being right on something and maybe taking other perspectives and sitting down and maybe this other person knows something that I don't. And damn, I never realized how humbling of an experience I was until talking to you right now. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it was, I guess I never really forgave myself for that. Maybe, maybe being a parent could fix that. Huh? But then, no, maybe. no, having a, having a kid is not so you can fix yourself or fix the sins of the past. That's not the purpose of having, of being a parent either, or having a kid either. But I don't know. <laughs> What about um, what about being a teacher? Has, has that being a teacher was facilitated? the vector that changed my opinion about having children? Yeah. Absolutely, like because you know at first it's like you know the stereotype of all oh, kids are annoying and things like that. But in 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 my case, when I went to the when I went to the to the charter school, it was the first year of that school. At the end of the year, it was the COVID lockdowns, and. Then the next year was, you know, half the kids were online, half the kids were in school. It was a mess. And it was, it was the most chaotic time any of us have ever experienced. And it was kind of like with, with that specific, because I taught the same group of kids, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. It, it's like we, we went through hell together. And it, it, I don't know, I saw these, I saw these kids start as these scared completely they, they just didn't know what they were just deer in headlights and then you know by the time if by the by the time last year happened we got out of covid these kids these children grew up they they became young adults the transformation of a sixth grader to an eighth grader is the craziest thing anyone will ever see there's so much growth and change it's like wow, oh my God, you became people like, oh, you're becoming functional men, functional members of society. We make that joke, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's it's kind of, and then at the same time, it's like, I played a very little role, but it's, but it's like, wow, I saw this happen. Like there's, there's, there's a, it's not even pride or anything. It's just like, wow. It's like seeing a, a flower blossom. Like, dude, you grew up, you did it. And then I thought, wait, is is this what being a parent is but just through all the stages of life <laughs> oh oh damn i really have to rethink this yeah and i don't know it was just like being a teacher was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me and maybe that part that that's why i came out and said something because the like you can use the whole social emotional learning without using it as a backdoor like the basic idea of social and emotional learning like you have to be aware of your of yourself of your of your strengths and your weaknesses and you have to communicate well, well with others like uh duh <laughs> of course so like if you look at if you google social emotional learning 
you would just see good things about it because it's literally that. But it's the attaching the weird woke things to, oh, let's be nice. So let's read this weird perverted book. That, that's where all the weirdness comes from. But the, but, but that basic of <coughs> like the, the, just the basic, hey, kid, learn this and then learn this. And then, oh, but by the way, I tricked you. Did you find the trick? Oh, okay. And seeing that growth and progression, I don't know, like, I realize that's what parents see and that's why they're, you know, we have parents who are proud of their kids when they do something or when they graduate or when something happens and it's like, oh, I get it. I get the whole, like, I understand. And it never really clicked for me and it, it would have never clicked for me if I didn't become a teacher, I think. And yeah, I know. There's a, there's a point in men's life when uh, this inversion happens from, you know, tending his ego uh, to kind of letting go of the ego and then being lost for a while and then saying, oh, I don't know. I think I think of it in terms of like having your Jesus Christ year where you kind of just die to yourself. And you, you realize that life is suffering and that my job is to sacrifice myself either to myself or to other people. But it's all it's going to be sacrifice. So either I'm going to sacrifice myself to myself or to other people or, you know, or to God, right? um, which means to other people. And um, And if we do that incorrectly, we can... Or we can, if we, if we mime doing that, if we think in terms of history, if we think in terms of impersonal, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to sacrifice myself to save the world. Um, then, well, I think it, it becomes uh, very egotistical uh, and, and it turns, it makes you very monomaniacal and, and it, it abstracts you from yourself, it abstracts you from reality. But if we do that, in a personal way and through service to other people, like with being a teacher, like you're saying, or being a parent say, well, I have this one person and I'm sacrificing myself to this one person or for these people, these exact people, not, not to save the world, not to change society, not to usher in like the, the this bountiful land without suffering, you know, but just to help this one person go through and engage their life and question things and open up a little bit and be a little bit more flexible. And then in return, I get to watch them be who they are as themselves. I can give them some skills and in return, I get to watch them become who they are. Yeah. yeah. And you know, just them growing is reward enough. Like that's, that's the beauty of it is yes. The thank you is great, but seeing their competence, seeing how they navigate the world, it's like, okay, maybe, Oh, maybe, you know, I, maybe I didn't do well in this, this, and this, but at the very least, my kid is better prepared than I was to tackle this yeah. thing called life. Yeah. And yes, as, a, as absolutely as a teacher that I had an experience of that, nowhere near what a parent would have, but that definitely changed my mind. And yeah, I have to sacrifice, but what am I going to sacrifice for? Um, I don't have kids of my own. I'm not married. Um, well, I'm divorced. So all I got now is fighting for ideals. I mean, I'll, I'll, of course, there'll be other things to fight for and, and things like that. Yeah. Funny, these um, the Your decor. creatures behind me, um, these are from my students, yeah. uh, my former students. They're just, I don't know, a sort of reminder of appreciation. Um, kind of don't forget your roots as well. I think that's what happens to a lot of people. If people get, and, and I was kind of, I mean, wanted, going back to, I wanted to delete my video when I first posted it. Like, I don't want to get an ego. I don't want to like 
forget where I came from and just become an elite. I don't want to do that either because that's just closing the door behind you kind of thing. I don't like that. Um, but I don't know. I think that people need constant reminders to ground themselves, to keep themselves grounded and things like that. Um, I don't know. I just, I just want good faith again. Like, th like this, this, this conversation we're having is great. Like an exchange of ideas without having an ideological bent or wanting to, you know, one up the other person. Oh, I'm right because of this. And it's like, okay, sure. You're right. But how does that help us in the long term? Does that actually like, if you prove to a point to me in, in a, in a, in a, in a very like jerky kind of fashion, like, okay, you want an argument, but how does that actually get you closer to having a better country or living in a better place? Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess that could be the paradox of democracy in a way. If we have constant arguments, but we never resolve them or come to a compromise, well, what happens then? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to, you're going to very quickly get into Schmidtian um, uh, ideas of uh, rulership and power. We don't have to necessarily go full <laughs> Machiavellian at this point in the interview, but I do oh, want, no. um, I do want uh, this, uh, this little interview to be a good platform for you to find a woman. You know, just like, so I'm going to put that in there. Maybe you'll find a girl in South Florida. So here we go. Oh my goodness. Blytaga, he's, he's available. He's on the market. So, you know, if, if you. Well, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, this is a really good point. Um, one of the things I discovered as, as a, as a man is. F-U-N, fun, has been the thing that gets people especially young people in the most amount of trouble like this idea oh. of wanting to have fun and wanting to you know hey, let me live my life and have experiences it's like okay that that that's gonna end badly and i don't know i don't think that the a, model... a man needs something more than than fun is that what you're saying yes okay he needs a purpose fun and is not it's a purpose. Not, yeah and neither is just making money and just having or just accumulating wealth and status for its own benefit is not doing that as well it, it's it's not a good purpose because i mean i understand why andrew tate's popular i disagree with his entire avenue and vector this opulence this mistreatment of others essentially you're making other people feel like garbage just so you feel good like you want to be the king and have everyone else suffer it's kind of like you're a psychic vampire in a way. You take all the good from others and you just accumulate it to yourself. That's not the that's not a good way for men or anyone to live, taking from others like that. But part of, partly is giving back and being able to not just better yourself, but bet, improve the lives of others as well. Yeah, but why do you believe this? Why do you believe what you believe? It just <laughs> just any other way feels wrong. It just feels you're trying to mani manipulate people for your own for your own benefit, and it's like if someone believes they're superior, what what is the thing that makes them superior? Is it their education that they got because they just happened to be born to the right person or to the right amount of wealth? Like, I don't. I just I think that if people had, because I said before, I mean equal opportunity. I'm, we don't have equal opportunity, not in practice. Well, if the communists know? come along, they can provide us equal opportunity. 
<laughs> equally one man, terrible, one vote, equally one bad. Yeah, yeah. E- equally bad, but agreed. But I don't know if we, if 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 people are, if we were able, if an individual was able to maximize their, I don't know, their intellect, their their full potential. Let's say. Um, I don't. I, I think this whole idea of having elites and not, I think that competition would be a lot closer if that was the case. Because I mean, just the just the amount of wealth, just the advantage that someone gets by going to a, a, a very good private school compared to run of the mill public school is night and day. Yeah. And hmm. I don't know. I just helping. Helping the group. How do I say this? I believe people are individuals, and yeah, they should help themselves. They should elevate themselves, and for the most part, prioritize themselves. And then, as best you can, try to help others. And I don't want to force people to help others or to render aid or to donate to charity, but I would like to shift the culture so that maybe we start doing that so maybe instead of looking at the people we look i don't know we there's so many tv shows and movies where you know the villain is like this rich business person or some something like that or uh, if you watch like i don't know arrow or the flash or something it's like the only way to do good is to have this amount of wealth or to do that or i don't Mm. oh gosh i don't know if i'm making my point correctly but it's (laughs) it just seems that The first purpose is wealth and satisfying your personal needs and then everything else follows. And I don't think that's the right way of doing things because look at, we're in a very nihilistic society where a lot of people are pessimistic and we've gotten to the point of despair. Uh, I forgot, was it Jim Carrey who uh, came out a few years ago and said that money is not as meaningful as I thought? Like he had like a nervous breakdown and it was like, yo, being a, a multimillionaire, being... Being wealthy isn't what you think it is. It's not the answer to everything. A better example, unfortunately, I forgot his name, but there is this very famous, I believe, WoW streamer. He was a, a he streamed, um, he was a video game streamer, and he had millions of followers, and he killed himself. Or um, what is it, Avicii, um, musical artist, songs listened to billions of times, committed suicide. Like, it's not just having this adoration of, of, of fans, it's forging something personal and private, like raising your family or something like that. And it just seems that in our society nowadays, we are pushing our young to be selfish people. The, one of the craziest things for me was, I remember when I was young and sometimes teachers would be like, hey, you know, like, does anyone want to be a parent when they're older? And all the kids raised their hand and things like that. Like when I was, when I was in, in grade school, Practically all the kids raised their hand. And I remember it was a big deal because I was the one kid who was like, nope, not doing it. And it was a big deal. But then I would ask my students and like 20% of them would raise their hands. I'm like, why don't you want to have kids? Oh, because they're annoying. They're stupid. They, they just walk around with iPads all the time. And then I'm like, wait a second. You're have you ever seen a good... I'm like, right. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen a good example of a child on like, I don't know, on television shows or anything like that? Or are they always annoying? And they're like, oh, okay, I get, I see what you're saying. But actually it's, it's funny about the iPad kids. Um, 
I told them like, Hey, you know, sometimes what happens is the generation or the generations that came before you make the world in the way they think is best, but they're not you. And maybe their ideas have gotten older or maybe you don't understand their ideas. And then, um, oh gosh, darn, I forgot my train of thought. The iPad kids. Um, yes, thank you. Um, and it's like, every generation has to fix the mistakes of their ancestors and you're not going to be perfect. And, you know, and one of them was like, well, why not you? You're, you have money and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I'm old. Like, okay, maybe I'll get something done, but what about my mistakes? What about the mistakes my generation is currently doing? Have you considered that? And then I tell them, if it's not you, you know, the six-year-olds with iPads, it's going to be them. And they go, oh crap. Oh my God. Are you serious? Because it's wild because I guess what's happening is uh, because of technology, you're seeing the, I guess the differences in generations quicker. Um, and already they see, you know, kids that are five or six or seven years younger than them as, Oh my God, those are NPCs. Those are robots. Those are, they're not people. They can't think. And it's like, How do you think we look at you? <laughs> yeah. How do you think the adults look at you? But yeah, I mean, they've said that since what Aristotle's time. Oh, the next generation is going to be the end of us. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe soon, but um, I don't know. I just, I guess kind of, let's just try harder. It's such a cheesy message, Get but good. yeah, learn to play. <laughs> no, I don't, it's, I don't know, just... Play better. Yeah. Be nicer. Eh, not just be nicer, but I mean, treat others like you want to be treated. Ah, there's so many ways of describing it, really. Yeah. But kind of, we just we have to lower the temperature in our society right now. And I don't know. I don't know how you do that with social media, with the internet, with Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. It's just you have to be you're picking teams all the time. And I guess as uh, in the United States, most things are a binary choice. Blue, red, left, right, up, down, pick. Yeah. Cheeseburger, hamburger. I don't know. It's just <laughs> we have two choices for most things, and but we're much more complicated than two choices. Yeah. So what do you, you said you're between jobs, but what do you want to, I guess for the next six months or so, what, what's your priorities? What do you, what do you uh, feel like um, you want to get done? So I do want to write a book on um, how teachers create false vacuums and false vacuums, uh, false echo chambers okay. um, and how to essentially like using basic psychological tricks and tactics like con uh, operant conditioning, classical conditioning to sort of push kids in the direction that they want to take the kids through, um, like appealing to their emotions through social and emotional, learner, social emotional learner, learning to teach them that you should, you know, walk around with a pride flag or whatever, uh, whatever it may be, um, that kind of thing. Um, how to use overbearing rules, um, again, like how to use the rules that exist for the advantage of the parent and the kid. Um, like, for example, um, this is happening more often, but Uh, a lot of schools are making teachers post the homework assignments and the lesson plans and everything on the internet so parents can see it, like transparency, uh, push and you know pushing for greater transparency, making sure keeping teachers like how do you keep teachers accountable? A lot of people don't know how to keep teachers accountable. 
Um, and it goes back to looking at the rules of the school and um, having that avenue open with your kid. Because one of the things that teachers do is they create that safe space for the students and they use that as, I guess, the antithesis or as kind of like the polar opposite of maybe how some of their parents are treating like the students. Like you see, like when you bring up something to your parents, they're going to come and yell at you. But if you bring up something to me, I'm not going to judge you. And so what that does is take away the, the, it makes the kid more of an ally and more, and more trusting of the stranger than the parent. And it's like, yeah. that's not okay. So you want to, you want to document the tactics that you're seeing uh, teaching uh, teachers are using right now? To yeah. And, and a lot of these are kind of like things I stumbled upon myself and like, wait, if this is true, and then if I twisted this and oh, and then I see examples of this uh, on the news. Okay, yeah. um, I guess my, the example I can give is the ash conformity test. Um, it's, it's essentially you show, um, you have a reference line on the left and three lines on the right. And what you do is you ask the group, does the line on the left match line A, raise your hand, line B, raise your hand, and line C. Now the trick is, Every single person in the group raising their hands is a confederate and there's one or two test subjects. So what's going to happen is the group is going to pick some right answers and they're going to pick the completely wrong answer so we can see how the one individual is going to act. How, I guess, the usually the lone dissenter, how they react in a situation where, I guess, you have like an echo chamber being formed. And what happens is there's actual like physical discomfort in the child, especially when the echo chamber looks and notices them like, why are you picking the wrong answer? And even if not saying anything, just by turning around and being like, what's going on? You can scare the kid into agreeing with the group, you know, at a, at a snap of the fingers. Yeah. And so it's little things like that, that teachers employ. I mean, another basic thing that teachers do is they use the same, they use the parent voice to get the kids to do what, what they want. The kid hears the parent voice and they're like, oh my God, I have to do this. And so. What's the yeah, parent voice? Um, kind of like that stern voice oh, okay. um, yeah. where you like the parents would sometimes say your full name the teacher would be like I, mean, I don't know maybe the teacher would say the last name like yeah. Robertson like uh oh wait this is really bad when the teacher does that that's bad kind of like with the parents and so it's kind of a trigger that you've crossed the line if you've gone too far maybe you maybe you disagreed with something with what the teacher said but this is an emotional argument made against you because um, there's like there's a similarity in that signal because your parents typically do the same thing when you get in trouble. Hmm. And it's things like that, that like, I don't have the knowledge to break down Gnosticism or something like that, but I can explain how teachers try to nudge kids in the direction they want to, because well, that absolutely happens. Well, you gotta do it, don't you? Yeah, actually you do. Because I mean, if I'm teaching my students about the about the U.S. Constitution, I mean, okay, I'm biased. I think that's a good document. It, it's pretty good. It's not perfect, but I don't know. Show me, show me better a better document than than. Uh, let's just pick a good one, the Bill of Rights. Like, that's a pretty tough document to beat in the sense of having human rights and freedoms and and the ability for someone to reach their full potential. I can't think of many other documents that have achieved that yeah. in theory or in practice. And yeah, you kind of like, 
you know, some would say, well, this sucks. Well, okay. You think it sucks? Okay, let's go through the First Amendment. Why is the First Amendment bad? But that's the thing. Like, I'm not going to go and shut down a kid and be like, okay, let's take the journey. Like, mm. this is, this is, you know, if you're pro this document, let's go through. These are the reasons why, um, you know, pro Bill of Rights people have gotten to this point. If you d- disagree with it, fine. That's the thing. I don't care about a personal student's belief. I don't care if they're a Marxist, if they're a fascist. I don't care personally because it's not my job to tell them if they're right or wrong. My only job as a teacher is, do you know where your thoughts come from? Do you know your first principles? Do you know why you believe in what you believe? No? Okay, then you should rethink that before randomly spewing out whatever you heard on Snapchat. Oh, you do know your ideas? You do know your first principles? Great. Know them better. Be able to defend yourself and... If and and follow them. That's basically it. It's just have your beliefs and know them. Don't just go around and believe whatever people want you to believe just because it's popular. I, I guess that's kind of how we got into this weird mess we're in right now, where only one section of society can freely express themselves, and most other people cannot. Hmm. How how was uh, how was your first podcast? Damn, this is. This was fun. This was, was great. Um, was I was I hard on you enough, or was it too easy on you? Just softballs the whole time. I, I don't. I, I guess don't know. There, there's like no it, no it, metric to compare it to yet. This yeah, I mean, it just felt like a it just felt like a conversation. <laughs> like like, what's up? What are you like? What's your deal? And and things like that. I'm like, <laughs> all right, this is me. This is what I think. Yeah. Um, I how'd you find? Like, I just, I feel like imposter syndrome. I've, I've looked through the guests that you've had. And I'm like, why does he want to interview me? All right. I mean, I'll do it. But it just, I don't know. I just kind of, I kind of want to know, like, how'd you, what went through your head? Uh, I'm always scrolling. I scroll, I scroll, I scroll. I found this uh-huh. guy in this weird room with these weird toys behind him. The first thing he said was, uh, well, it was about why I'm not going to be anonymous. I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. This is the guy who's standing up for his principles. And I listen to your principles. I'm like, yeah, I want to see. I want to hold this guy up as an example of uh, somebody who wants to express themselves and and be open and, you know, just uh, answer uh, that that prompt. You know, it's like, well, who am I? What am I going to do? I have to speak out. Something's wrong. Here we go. And this is my name. This is who I am. Here's my faith. Yeah, I appreciate that. I yeah. I don't know. Just I guess maybe I can. I don't know. Trying to describe what went through my head just felt like I just had to do it. I guess, and yeah. I'm glad it crossed your your scrolling. This yeah. is really cool. Um, well, I mean, I it kind of gives the lie to the whole, like, the Internet's on fire and destroying the society and nobody can have open conversations. Not to not to disagree with you at all, but... Oh, no, no, no. There's absolutely hope. And, and yeah. I mean, I'm a pessimist and I, I, I don't like that about me. I don't want to be a pessimist. But and, and it's conversations like this. It's the positive replies that I had. It's the encouragement from, I don't know, like, from, from other people, from, I don't want to, normal people, like, Hey, you're not the only one. And it just, it, okay. So, okay. The, everything is a lot more nuanced. Yeah. And I don't know. 
how'd I do as a guest? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Well, we're going to let the comment commentators well, yeah, we'll, beneath we'll, the video. We'll so They're definitely the like They're and the subscribe. And, and uh, do you publish your videos? I found you on Twitter. Do you publish your videos on YouTube as well? I'll, I'll um, link to all your different channels and stuff, but yeah, I have, I have Twitter. I mostly operate through Twitter. I posted this on rumble and YouTube as well, but it's crazy because I got like, like 50 views combined on Twitter and rumble and a lot more on Twitter. Yeah. I was hold on. YouTube did I say that rumble, yeah. YouTube and rumble got, yeah, like 50 and then Twitter got, so it'll mostly be Twitter, but I think i made all of them the same name, the Blytaga. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I'll I'll link to those in the description and hopefully more Thanks, people I appreciate plug that. into you and, and you can start to engage more and more with the discourse as, as it's happening and maybe opportunities will open up to you that wouldn't have otherwise with regard to your path forward and I hope they do and also I hope some South Florida honey crosses Maybe <laughs> Maybe fortune favors the bold. Yeah, maybe, I'm trying to figure that one out. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, thanks for stepping this, up and speaking up. Thanks for talking to me. This, I, I enjoyed this. Maybe we'll talk again in the future. It'd be yeah. great. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'll end the...